Hey, uh, last week we, we started a, a two-part message, and, and it's called The Issue is Worship, and if you weren't here last week, I'll just give you a little quick rundown uh, on what we talked about. Um, there's a story in the Bible where David wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the temple, and, and in the process of him doing that, he gets a few things wrong, and someone gets struck dead, and and there's all this sort of stuff that's going on. And the reason why he's bringing it up is because for a period of time, uh, the Philistines, the enemy, um, stole the ark because the ark was the center of Israel. Like everything evolved around the ark of the covenant. The ark of the covenant in the Old Testament represents the presence of God. Inside the ark was Aaron's rod, a rod that budded was a piece of the manna bread from heaven and the Ten Commandments, and they represent the three areas that man rebels against God. They rebel against his authority, they rebel against his provision by not trusting him with their finances, and they rebel against his laws. And so over the top of that was the mercy seat of God, because mercy saves us from what we do deserve. Grace gives us what we don't deserve but it's his mercy that saves us from what we do deserve. And, and so he came and put his manifest presence in the box. And there was a tent that encased that. And every time that he moved, they had to pack everything up and move with it. There's a fire by night, cloud by day. And the, the presence of God became the central thing to everything that they did until they decided that they wanted a king like everybody else. And then they neglected God's presence and that's when the Philistines took the presence of God away from them. So we're just going to touch on those verses again. And then I want to pull out some more things for you this morning that's hopefully helpful. In First Chronicles 13, 7, it says, They placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it down from Abinadab's house. Uzzah and Ahio were guiding the cart. Jump down to verse 9, and it says, But then... When they arrived at the threshing floor, the oxen stumbled and Uzra reached out his hand to steady the ark and the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzra and he struck him dead because he had laid his hand on the ark. That sounds harsh, sounds unfair. I'm going to explain that to you this morning. So Uzra died there in the presence of God. Jump down to verse 12 and it says, David was now afraid of God, funny that. I would be too, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. How can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? So David did not move the ark into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath, and the ark remained there with Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned." The message is called The Issue is Worship because I believe that the issue of just about every single one of our lives is an issue of worship, of whether God is the central thing in our lives, whether God comes first or other things come first. I think we need to understand that we can sometimes confuse worship with music, but music is not worship. Music is a, is a conduit that God uses to bring about worship, but the responsibility of the people on the stage every Sunday is not to get you into a place of worship. That's not their job, that's your job. Your job is to bring yourself to a place where you're worshiping God in his presence. That's not the responsibility of the people on the stage to get you there. It's actually your responsibility because you can be 
in the presence of worship and have never worshipped. Are you hearing me? You can be in the vicinity of worship and completely miss it. You can be around it and not even participate in it. So worship is not music. Music is simply the vehicle that drives a certain type of worship, which should always arrive in the presence of God. I would like to think that every Sunday we arrive at the presence of God. If we don't arrive at the presence of God, we're going to shut our doors and go home because if we don't have the presence of God, everything else we do is pointless. We need it. The best thing I can offer is my preaching is to offer my preaching as worship. The best thing you can do is offer your service to God as worship. The best thing the Bible says that you can do with your body is bring it as a living sacrifice as worship towards Him. And so I'm convinced wholeheartedly that all of the excuses that people come up with as to why they can't commit to God fully is because there's an issue of worship in their lives, that God's not first. And so everything else gets in the way. And here's the problem with that. God doesn't like anything in front of him. He said even in the commandments, you should have no other gods before me, right? So here's the problem that we have is is that if we have anything else more important in our lives than God, anything else in our lives that's in front of God, the Bible says that that is now an idol in your life. And the problem when we create idols in our lives is that according to Scripture, God is obligated to destroy the idol to make sure that he is first. And so sometimes the things that happen in our lives, it's not God's fault, it's because we've put things in front of him and he can't help it, but he has to destroy it because he said, you can't have any other gods before me. You're so quiet today. When your goals in life are in competition to God's plans, your goals will always lose out because God will not live in competition with how you think your life should be. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, yes? His plan. You know, I, I, I hate it when people always bring up Jeremiah 29, 11 because to me it's just like a throw out verse that we use in the Christian world. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Just about every youth conference you go to, that'll get prophesied over some kid about five times. <clears throat> but here's the key. I know the plans I have for you. Not the plans you have for you, but the plans I have for you. So anytime our plans get in front of his plans, then here's the problem. It's in competition with what he's trying to do, and God just won't live in competition with what he wants to do in your life. God doesn't bring you to church to entertain you. God brings you to church to train you so that you can be his witnesses Monday through to Saturday out in the world around us. And worship should never be attached to anything but God. God is the only one to be worshipped. Worship should not be attached to my bank account. Worship should not be attached to my circumstances or my situations. Here's one. Worship should not be attached to my feelings or how you have treated me. Worship is not attached to anything other than God. 
And that's why over the years, even though I have been treated badly in church at times, even before I was pastoring, and even though pastoring, I know that sometimes people think that pastors treat the congregation badly, and in some cases that happens, hopefully not intentionally, hopefully by mistake, but I can tell you, it's reciprocal, the hurt that comes back this way. And if it wasn't me putting God first, there's no way I would come in and worship Him on a Sunday. Like you, I'll probably go and find something else to do. You see, we've been taught that the devil is after your stuff. He's after everything in your life. You've been taught that the devil's after your stuff, but I don't think the devil cares about your car. I don't think the devil cares about your house. I don't think the devil cares about your stuff. It's not like I need a car to drive and I need a house to live in. So he comes and gets your house and your car off you. I don't, I don't think the devil cares about your stuff. I think the only reason why the devil attacks your stuff is because he believes that you worship the stuff that you're attached to. And so he messes with your stuff because he wants to mess with your worship. Doesn't need your car. I've never, in all my years of being alive, which is 50, be 51 years soon, I've never seen the devil driving down the motorway. There are some people that drive like the devil on the motorway, but I've never seen the devil on the motorway. He messes with your stuff because he wants you to lose your worship. The thing is, is once we settle the issue of worship or that God comes first, once we settle the issue that it's him and only him that receives my worship, once we settle that issue, then I'm going to worship God no matter what happens. I'm going to worship him no matter what is going on. And then as I worship God, it becomes God's responsibility to get me my stuff and to take care of my stuff. Because the Bible says this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, if we make him the number one priority and we make worship of him first, God takes care of our stuff. I don't know about you, but I'd rather God took care of my kids than I had to. Some of you are like, especially this morning. But if I put God first, the Bible says if I make him first, God will take care of my stuff. He'll take care of my things. I mean, I was, I was blessed enough, if I'm honest with you, to, to grow up in, in a wonderful Christian home. My parents pastored for 45 years of their life and their pastoring journey started out in a place called Tauranga. How many people have been to Tauranga? How many people love Tauranga? I spent ye my first eight years of my life just about every Sunday afternoon having a picnic at Mount Monganui or Papamoa Beach. And, 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 and now, now I live in the land of potatoes and onions and not necessarily nice beaches, right? Um, but worse than that, it's better here. Worse than that, after we lived in Tauranga, mum and dad took me to Wellington. And so I'd rather be here than Wellington. Can I get an amen? But we lived in Tauranga, and we lived in this place called Otomotai, and we lived in this beautiful home, and it had a pool, and it had fruit trees galore. And I can remember when I was young, uh, I was just swimming in the pool all the time, having races against my brother. And then when you get a little bit hungry, you just hop out of the pool, grab an apple off the tree and eat it. It was like, it was awesome. It was an incredibly cool childhood. And then one day, Dad gets asked if he would go and pastor a church in Porirua in Wellington. And uh, he was promised a salary and all sorts of stuff and 
So mum and dad say yes, and they sell their house, and they take us four kids, and they ship us off down to Porirua to live. Um, and when dad got down there, he discovered that, oh, actually, um, there is no salary. The church can't afford to pay you because the church is actually in debt. And, and actually, by the way, there's not 150 in the church. There's about 12 people in the church. And my parents had four kids and a mortgage because they just brought a house. So what do they do? Dad decides that they'll live on faith instead. I didn't know this when I was younger because I probably would have freaked out. But for 12 to 18 months, my parents lived on faith, no income coming in. And here's the crazy thing. In those 12 to 18 months, we were always fed. We were always clothed. The mortgage was always paid. And we always had holidays. And I believe it's because my parents had settled the issue of worship. And their worship of God had not become attached to their stuff, including their kids, but had become attached to the call and the purposes of God for their lives. And because they put God first, God looked after them. And God looked after me. And so while they worshipped him, he took care of their stuff. And they taught me to worship God, no matter what is going on. Parents, we are doing our children a disservice to the generation coming through if we do not teach them the message of sacrifice and worship. Not just worship, but sacrifice. One of the key things of the gospel, we don't talk about it enough, and maybe we'll hit on it next year, but the Bible says this, if we don't deny ourselves, pick up our cross and follow him, we are not fit for the kingdom of God. We don't talk about denying ourselves and sacrificing our wants enough. And my parents taught me that if you worship God first, then he'll take care of everything else. And we do our children a disservice if we don't teach them the message of sacrifice and worship. Why? Because anything you get for nothing, you don't value Anything you get for nothing, you don't value. I know this is true because there has been occasions in my parenting where we have said, hey, we will give you money towards this ridiculous present that you want, but you have to come up with the rest. The presents that we have brought for our children over the years outright, where it costs them nothing, those gifts haven't always been treated so well. But when they've had to put some of their sacrifice and hard-earned cash into something, all of a sudden, they look after that thing really well. Do you know what I'm talking about? You help them get a car, but once they've got a car, it's all their responsibility, right? All of a sudden, they take care of things slightly differently. If only they could take care of their rooms the same way they take care of their stuff. Can I get an amen from mom and dads? Yeah. Here's the thing. If we will prioritize God, it will never be about what you can do. It will always be about what he can do. The pressure won't be on you, it will be on him. What he can do on your behalf. He can put you in a job that you're not educated for and that you're not trained for. I'm living proof of that. I became the CEO of Deutz in New Zealand. It's a, it's a mechanical engineering company. I have no mechanical engineering background in my whole entire life. In fact, I dropped out of school halfway through the sixth form. I don't have, apart from a diploma in Christian studies, I don't have any tertiary education, but somehow I became the CEO of a company in New Zealand 
traveling every second week, going to Asia, Australia, all over the place, dealing with people that had degrees and masters and all that sort of stuff in mechanical engineering, and I had nothing. And I managed to fake my, no, just, it was the blessing of God. He looked after me. He can drop you in the middle of a blessing that no one can stop because you're looking he is looking for you to settle the issue of worship. When you put him first, he can't help but put you first. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, if you look after my house, I'll look after your house. It's what God does. He can't help himself but look after you if you put him first. And so Jesus is the box. The Ark of the Covenant is a representation of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's where the presence of God is located. It's Christ. It's a representation of him. He is wood and gold. He is God and man. He is humanity, but he's also deity. He is man, but he's also God. Are you hearing me? He is so much man that he was born to Mary, but so much God that Joseph couldn't be his father. He is so much man that he can't, can sleep in a storm in a boat, yet so much God that he can get up and calm the wind and the waves. He is so much man that he worries about people not having food in the desert, but he's so much God that he can take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 men plus women and children. He's so much man that when his friend Lazarus dies, he cries, yet he's so much God that he raises him from the dead. He is so much man that he gave up his life on the cross, but he is so much God that the grave couldn't hold him. That's who he is. And he is the box. He is the presence of God. And he showed us what worship actually looks like. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, Jesus shows us what worship really is. It says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. This is the time when the devil is tempting him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give to you, he said. How many know that's a lie? Because he didn't own it. God owns everything, right? Come on. He didn't have the authority to give it to him. He said, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all of this. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and it came and attended him. Jesus showed here that worship is about who gets the acknowledgement of being first. I'll give you all of this. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. It says worship God and serve him only. God doesn't consider himself worshipped when he is worshipped first. God considers him worshipped when he is worshipped only. I want you to hear that because we kind of, we're like a prioritization of things, right? And you probably heard stuff like this, you know, God first, family second, church third, you know, and you've got these lists of pri- you know, priorities of what comes first and what comes second and what comes third. But no, no, no. The Bible says here, worship God and serve him only. God doesn't want to be the front of the line. God wants to be the line. He doesn't want to be first to be worshipped. He wants to be the only one to be worshipped. 
which means every part of our lives, every decision we make, God is part of that decision. That everything that we do, God is part of, everything is filtered through him. That's worship. It's about giving him the acknowledgement because he doesn't want to be at the front of the line. He wants to be all that is left. And once Jesus said to him, to the devil, he said, you will, he basically said to him, you will never, ever get my worship. No matter what you promise me, no matter what you say, devil, you will never, ever get my worship. I want you to hear this. It says, then the devil left him. When we can settle the, settle the issue of worship and we can turn around and say, you will never, ever get my worship, then he'll leave you alone because he's after it. Sometimes we get ourselves into states of spiritual warfare in our lives that we would never be in if we had settled the issue of worship. We'd never be in these states of fighting because when you settle the issue of worship, then Satan will depart from you. If you can stand in the middle of an incredibly traumatic circumstance and worship God in the middle of the trauma, the enemy will leave you. So quiet this morning. Some of you are filled with worried because you've made your worry bigger than your God. We've got to settle the issue of worship, of God being central, God being first, God being only. Let's get back to the story, eh? That was a bit of a side note for you all. Enjoyed that journey? Let's get back to Uzzah. Because he's, he's lying there dead, right? Like he's dead. And the Bible says that David fed the Lord that day. It's probably an understatement, right? David was thinking, I've got to do something with this box and this story. I've got to bring it up. I've got to bring... It can't keep staying there at a bit of dad's place. I've got to do something with this box. Is really, really important. And then after Uzzah is killed touching it, David's like, what am I going to do with it now? Like, this hasn't really gone to plan. How many people's lives have not gone to plan? <laughs> yeah, just about everybody in this place. is not really gone to plan, so what am I going to do with this? And so he, he grabs Obed-Edom and he says to him, hey, you need to take the box to your house. I don't know about you, but if I was Obed-Edom and I'm looking at Uzra on the ground dead, I'd be like, can someone else take it? I'm pretty sure Rimmer wants it at his place. <laughs> Wouldn't you? I would. I'll be looking and going, man, the last person that got close to that box is lying there dead. Um, I'm not sure I want to take it to my house, right? I want you to hear this, but I want you, don't take me out of context. The essence of worship is this, is I must risk my own destruction to go after the presence of God. I must risk my loss to go after the presence of God. I know the terminology is awkward in saying that, but we have to understand something. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ who lives in me. And so there has to be a death of me in the pursuit of the presence of God. It, it, 
even if this destroys me, this pursuit of God and his presence, even if I lose so much, I have to have his presence around me. I have to have it. Job put it best when he said, though he slay me, I'll still follow him. Why? Because Job understood, even though I've lost all my family and I've lost everything, I still need the presence of God. It is of more value than any of that. I know this is a tough message, but you'll survive. If I don't get what I want, if my prayers are never answered, I have to go after God even if it costs me everything because I need his presence. And Obed-Edom is kind of like, man, I know this just killed Uzzah, but bring it to me. I'll take it to my house. I'll have it. Uzzah is the son of Abinadad, so the ark has been at their house for a long, long time. It was at Abinadad's house, so Uzzah has grown up with the ark. Uzzah has grown up with it, the box at his dad's house. He's seen it every single day. And I think the problem, the reason why Uzzah got killed is because I think he had become common in the wrong sense of the word with the box. He had become familiar with it. It was just like, I see this every day. This is nothing new. This is nothing special. And it's a warning for us that have been in the church a long time that we can get so used to the presence of God that we don't value it any longer. Sometimes the problem with the church that constantly has the presence of God in it is that you start to think you don't have to do anything to help it get there. You think you can just turn up 15 minutes late and leave 15 minutes early and you don't add anything to what's happening here. It's the body of Christ comes together, the presence of God comes. You add, you bring, you are so vitally important to what the presence of God wants to do in the midst of everything we do. You, you don't just turn up here. You, you, you can't get so familiar with someone else producing it for you that you just walk in and you just become common and familiar with what God's doing. You add something. Don't become familiar. The oxen stumbles, oozes familiarity, reaches out, touches the box. God doesn't want him to touch the box. So God kills him. You see, David was trying to bring it in, but he never ever asked God how to bring it in. We saw that last week. He never asked God how to do it. He just tried to do it in his own strength, and Uzzah means human strength, trying to do it in our own way, trying to make God move in our own strength, trying to bring his presence in in our own ability. And so David, because he didn't ask of God, he put it on a cart and he brought it in. And here's the problem. Here's another reason why Uzzah was killed, because Moses told, uh, God told Moses when they built the ark, he said, put rings on the box, because the box is meant to be carried in by the people and not on a cart or an oxen. The presence of God is meant to be carried in on you and I, not on the musicians and the singers. God 
doesn't want to be wheeled in and wheeled out whenever we feel like it. I'm going through a difficult time at the moment. I'm, I'm really struggling financially and stuff, so I'm just gonna wheel God into my life. Now my life is going really well, so we're just gonna wheel him back out again. Oh, no, 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 I just got a, I got a, I got a cancer diagnosis from the doctor, so I'll just wheel God back out into my life again. Oh, I've got all clearance now, I'm all good now. It's, it's gone away, I'm in remission, so we just wheel him back out again. Oh, my, my kids, say that they don't want to follow God anymore, so I'm going to wheel God out now. Oh, they're back on track with him now, so just wheel him back. God doesn't want to be wheeled in and out. He wants to be carried. And you can't contract out the carrying of presence of God. You can't contract that out to the singers and musicians. You can't contract that out to me. You can't contract that out to your husband. You can't contract that out to your, your wife. You can't contract out to your parents. You can't contract that out to others around you and people that you look to and your grandparents. You have to carry the presence of God for yourself. No one else is meant to carry it for you. You have to carry it. Everything else in the tent of meeting, the, the, the wood, the, the coverings, they all went on carts, but the presence has to be carried on the backs of the priests. And you and I, according to the New Testament, are the priests of the presence of God, and we are meant to bring it with us everywhere we go. It's not for someone else to carry for you. You can't, you can't delegate this to somebody else. You have to carry the presence for yourself. And I know because I lived on the coattails of my parents' relationship with God right through to I was 17 years of age. And I just lived on their coattails, following them. And it's awesome and it's great that parents can do that. But at some stage, I had to make a decision. I've got to carry this for myself. And that's why I can walk into services. And trust me, I preach around the country a fair bit. And not all the worship is like the worship here. Some of it is very uncomfortable. Some of it is cringy. Some of it is like, oh my God. If I'm really honest with you, sometimes when I preach in some churches, I'm like, I know I don't want to be here. I'm pretty sure God doesn't want to be either. But I have learned to put aside that arrogant statement and understand that it's not about the worship, it's not about the musicians, it's not about the style, it's not about the volume, it's not about, it's about, am I worshiping him first? Am I a worshiper? Or do I need, am I carrying his presence? Or am I trusting on these guys to carry it for me? And so I can go into any situation. That's why at Christmas time, when we sing Christmas carols, I have no problem, and I, and I think our church does it really well. We worship during the Christmas carols. Why? Because Christmas carols are incredibly worshipful. Oh, Holy Night is one of the greatest worship songs you could ever sing in your life. We're doing a really cool series in November, by the way, called How Sweet the Sound. We're gonna look at four different hymns and we're gonna preach uh, through those four different hymns like uh, Amazing Grace, It Is Well With My Soul, What A Friend We Have In Jesus. And we're gonna sing them as well in the service. So you wanna, you know, we're going old school in uh, November. God doesn't wanna be wheeled in and wheeled out. God doesn't want someone else to carry it for you. You have to carry the presence of God for yourself. It can't be contracted out. 
He wants us to carry it because he wants us to feel the weight of his presence wherever we go. And to carry his presence requires sacrifice. It requires prayer. It requires fasting. Oh, I don't fast. You can fast. No, 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 you don't understand. I, I don't fast. Yes, I know you don't fast, but you can fast. How many people know that I could do with a bit of fasting? Right? Some of you, not so much. But you can fast. Jesus said this. He said, when you give, give like this. When you pray, pray like this. When you fast, fast like this. It's, they're not options. They're commands. Giving, prayer, and fasting should be a natural part of our lives. Every single one of us. There's a sacrifice to it. Crying out to God on the altar. And so for three months, the Ark of the Covenant is now at Obed-Edom's house. Well, Dave is trying to work out, how am I meant to do this? How am I meant to bring this presence of God, the ark, back? It's at his house. And the Bible says that everything that belonged to Obed-Edom was blessed. Can, can you imagine? He wakes up in the morning. He wakes up in the morning and he has abs again. His wife started winking at him again. <laughs> the kids are doing great at school. His garden, talk about prize-winning vegetables. Have you seen the size of his pumpkins? Everything in his house was blessed. Can, can you imagine having the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant in your house? You get up in the morning and you slide the door open and you go, yep, yeah, still here. And as you slide the door open, there's just the glory of God in that room. Could you imagine it? A little bit later, you go and have another peek. And a little bit later, you go and have another peek. And then before you go to bed, you have a, another peek. And, and he's probably looking and going, the manifest presence of God is in my house. And everything has been blessed because of it. This is amazing. So he's had three months. I don't know about you, but you'd be, you'd be feeling pretty good by then. It's like, I hope David never comes and gets this thing. I want to keep it here all the time. This is awesome. My wife has never been so nice to me in my life. That was a joke, by the way. And then all of a sudden he gets a knock on the door. David rocks up. Yo, I've got the boys here with me. Obed, we know, how to, we know what to do now, so um, we're going to take the box back. Can you imagine, no, 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 things were just starting to go, well, please don't take this from me. And David's like, no, 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 we, we know what we did wrong last time. We didn't want to carry the weight of it last time. We realised we tried to subcontract the responsibility out. It's not that we didn't want the box last time, we just didn't want to carry the weight of it last time. But this time, this time, I've got the priests. I've got the priests with me, and I've taken off my kingly garments because before God, I'm not a king, I'm a worshiper. People focus on all that David had on, we should focus on what David took off. He was king, but he made himself nothing in the presence of God because he became a worshiper first. 
Well, what would have it been like to Obed-Edom to have that house, have that box in his house all that time? And all the blessing that came with it. And now David and his men want to take it. What would that been like for him? Maddie, can you, or Jake, someone jump on the keys, that would be awesome. What, what, what would it been like for him? He said, he's had three months of just absolute bliss. And now all of a sudden, he's going to lose this, this box that has brought about all this incredible blessing upon his life. Well, a little bit, about a chapter later, if you look into it yourselves, because we don't have time for it right now, but about a chapter later, it talks about how they established worship back in the temple, and, and it talks about who was playing what instrument. You know, you had Maddie on the keys, Rimmer on guitar, Peter on bass, Ethan and Chris on the drums. It goes through and it talks about how they implemented worship, because the worship we have today is because of the way that David implemented it, and and who was playing what instrument and who was doing right, what, you know, who was doing whatever. And right in the middle of that whole breakdown of who's doing what, it says this, it says that, and Obed-Edom kept the door. I, I, I don't know about you, but, but um, I, I get it being mentioned if you're the lead guitarist and you, and you, can, you can really let it rip on the lead guitar, right? Like, I, I get that. If, you, if you're like, if you can make that harp sing, I, I get that your name is listed. If you've, got, if you've got lungs on you like nobody else, I get that you get mentioned. But what, what I don't understand is how, oh, and this guy, he, he opened and closed the door for people. When I was at Bible college, I worked part-time pumping gas, but I told everybody that I was a petroleum fuel transfer engineer. Because a petroleum fuel transfer engineer sounds better than pumping gas, right? Yes? If I was Obed-Edom, I would have come up with something better than, and he kept the door. I would have had something like, I am the assimilation pastor of new people and visitors to make it sound like I was, you know, like special. But he's just on the door. And right at that time, because David wrote most of the Psalms, he writes this in Psalm 84, verse 10. Right at the time that this is all happening, this is what he writes. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper or gatekeeper in the house of God than live the good life in the homes of of the wicked. What, what, what is David saying here? He's looking at someone like Obed Eden and, and he's looking at him because I'm guaranteed Obed said to him, hey, 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 I know you're taking the presence of God, but I gotta go with it. Oh, what about your family? And, and oh, no, I gotta go with it. Well, you're not really a skilled musician and you, you don't really have much to offer. Obed, oh, let me open and close the door. I, I just wanna be by, I can't not be by his presence anymore. If he isn't in my house, then I'm going to go to his house. Um, if he's not going to be living here with me, I'm going to move with him. I don't care about my house. I don't care about what I've got going on. I just can't afford to live without his presence. I've settled the issue of worship and God comes first and I can't live without. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God 
them live a thousand days elsewhere. The Message Bible puts it this, one day in your house is better than a thousand days on Greek islands. He says, oh, I, I can't. I, if he isn't in my house, then I'm going to his house. And the difference between Obed-Edom and Uzzah is this. For Uzzah, being around the presence of God caused Uzzah to become common with his presence. Obed-Edom being around the presence of God caused him to not be able to live without his presence. One became used to it. One became common with it. Ah, oh, yeah, we rock up. This is what happens. It's the presence of God. But Obed-Edom, he's like, I can't live without it. If it ain't going to be at my house, I'm going to wherever it's going. I can't live without it. We need to become people that say, I can't. I can live without the stuff that God gives me. I just can't live without the one who gives me the stuff. I can live without all the stuff, but I can't live without the stuff giver. The God, the one. Obed-Edom decided that if he can't have the presence in him, his house, he'll be a doorkeeper in God's house. You know why? Because as he's standing there at the door and different ones come to come in, as he opens the door, he gets to have a glimpse at the presence of God as the door is open and he lets people in. As he's standing there on the door, he gets to open it and he'll go through and then he gets to have a glimpse of the presence of God as he opens the door. The same glimpse he got every single day at his house on regular occasions. And Obed-Edom said, I'd rather live as a doorkeeper constantly getting a glimpse of the presence and the power and the glory of God than to stay home here with everything I've got. I can't live a day without His presence. He settled the issue of worship and God became His only, not His first, His only. And I know this is a really strong message to get your head around, but I truly believe this. If we can't settle this issue that God becomes our only, then everything else in your life will be out of kilter. Because when He becomes the only, He takes care of everything. When everything else comes before Him, He's on the outskirts of our lives. He has to be at the centre. He has to be central. Better is one day in your house than a thousand house where I'd rather be a doorkeeper than live an incredible life outside of it. It's desperate for His presence. I, I wonder, I wonder if there's anybody in this place that's desperate for His presence. I wonder if there's anybody in this place that would be willing to sacrifice some things, to go without because they're desperate for His presence. I wonder if there's some people in this room that are willing to change careers or whatever because God's saying, hey, hey, I need you to do this or I need you to do that or I need you to step into this. When I left the job that I was in to come and pastor here, the salary I was on then, I'm still nowhere near close to it. It's been 16 years. 16 years this, today. 
next week. I don't regret one single day of it. You can give me all the money in the world, but I don't regret a single day of being here in this house because one, I love you guys, but two, I love him. Well, actually, I love him first and love you guys second. Why well, actually, I just love him. And because I love him, that makes me love you. Not that I don't love you. I'm getting, I'm getting confused now. But I love this place and I love this house because of His presence. I love you and I love what you bring because of His presence on your life. You know, I look, I look at different ones in this place and I, I think of uh, Lene here who probably doesn't think she has much to offer at times because of stuff that she's gone through in her life. But when I see the growth and the changes in her and the presence of God that she carries now, it makes everything that I do worthwhile. You can clap her, don't clap me. The Willoughbys are the same. Our friends from Port Waikato, the same. All of you, Earl, who's probably been, and Jenny, who are probably the most faithful people that have, Jenny Tonkin, they're the most faithful people I've ever met in my life. They've gone through a lot of stuff over the years. Oh, it all makes it worth it because I see the presence of God on their lives. I see what they carry. And I think this is so good because they're not coming in here expecting somebody else to do it for them, but they bring the presence of God with them. But there has been costs and there has been, in Lene's case, she's gone through some painful stuff, but God has brought her through and now she carries something. God wants to do the same for you. Yeah. I wonder if there's anybody in this place that's desperate to be a presence of God carrier. Why don't we stand to our feet?